Acts chapter 17, verse 26 on every screen. It says, from one man, he made every nation of men. Look to your left and right. You see every nation represented. You see people from every background, every color, every creed represented in the house. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Would you say the word inhabit? Inhabit. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. Wow. Wow. God said, I- I'm going to have you in New Orleans for such a time as this. That's a powerful thought. Why did God do this? God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And I love this and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. Would you read the next line? For in him we live and move and have our being. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word today, I just pray, God, that you would change us, that you would transform us into the men and women you have called us to be. God, we love you, and we're thankful that you set us in this time, that we would know you and find you. God, I pray that every person present would find you in a fresh and exciting way. God, I thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We all said amen. Amen Amen and amen. What a great time in worship. I'm so proud of what God is doing in our church and and really the the work that's going in before the work really begins. Y'all know we're heading towards and we're in just a great season as we're looking to move into our first permanent home. I just don't know if it's going to be able to contain us, y'all. So you need to get ready for some of the additional service times. And if you're not an early churchgoer, you may find yourself not sitting in the seat you want to be sitting in because of what God is doing here. So I just want to say, get ready, get ready, get ready for what God's going to do. In this new series, we're going to be talking about being an influencer, but not in the world's idea of what an influencer is, but really being the leader that God really has called you to be, to be an influencer in this world. And man, we live in a very unique time in history and one of the most unique nations in the world to be born and live or maybe have moved into the United States. We're, we're in a unique nation definitely in a unique state. You know that, that if you study law in any of the other 49 states, you can't, you can't just come over here and practice law because this state is different, y'all. And if you get a law degree here, you, you just can't go every other state. And you gotta, you gotta learn some other things because this place, look at your neighbor and say, it's unique here. It's unique. It's different. It's different, right? And then we live, we live in one of the most unique cities in this state, In an ever-changing world, there's this constant dichotomy of just good things and bad things. And I think this is something that our generation is having to learn to wrestle with, how we can have so much good in the left hand and then so much pain in the right hand. And we're so aware that when we're being blessed that others are not being blessed. Like this week, kids started school. Oh, happy day, right? Come on, all the moms, where you at? Wave something at me, mom. Like, you so glad they went to school this week? We had a day date at my house on Friday. I work Sunday through Thursday, as you can imagine. And my wife and I, we love to celebrate without the kids on Friday. Don't even need a sitter. Man, you can just enjoy the day. That, that was so good. But that's a great thing. 
how y'all know that gas prices aren't exciting? Your job, it's going great. It's exciting. And then there's some sickness in your family. Ah, not exciting. There's a war in Ukraine. It's terrible. It's awful. We're becoming so desensitized to war because there's only so long that you can look at it. And so we're over here saying, well, at least it's not here. We're living in one of the most unique times in history because there's this constant tension between good and bad. And the question for you today is, what are we supposed to do in this world? Do we leave it the way it is or do we change it? Do we just roll with the punches, as they like to say? Do we just kind of go with the flow? And so much of our nation has really turned from God. Are we going to pass to this next generation this situation? Or are we going to be the, the influencers that God has called us to be and change our time for the better? Y'all hear me? But I think there's, there's this mindset that, that, that so many of us say, well, I, you know, I can't, I can't fix all that. I understand you can't do it all. But God has called you to do something. And I think so many Christians, we have this mindset that we're supposed to kind of compartmentalize. Like, I, I, listen, I believe in God, Pastor. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm going to heaven. I believe my family, I'm, I'm, I'm working for my family to go to heaven. But I can't, I can't deal with the school system. And I can't deal with the government. And I can't, I can't. So we compartmentalize and we pull back. But I need you to hear this. It's going to be on screen. You need to write it down. That the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. I need you to read it with me. Say it with me. The local church mobilized is the hope of the world. And you could just, if you're taking notes, you could take the word church and just set it to the side and say the local Christian mobilized is the hope of the world. So many of us are just kind of trying to withdraw and pull back. But listen, listen to how Jesus described the church as a transformational kingdom. I'm going to go right back to scripture, a number of verses, Matthew chapter four. This is Jesus walking out of being tempted by the devil. And he comes up and he says, from then on, after being attacked by the enemy, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven. Say with me, the kingdom of heaven is near. Where's the kingdom? Right here. The kingdom isn't over there. The kingdom is wherever the kingdom citizens are. Right? Everywhere I go, I bring something with me. And Jesus said, after the devil gave me his best, after he tempted and attacked me, attacked me. That's a new word, right? I'm writing English right here in service, right? Like when the, the enemy attacked me, what happened after that? He went out and said, we've got to take some ground. Two chapters goes on. The disciples say, Jesus, will you teach us how to preach? And he says, I want you to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? I want you to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I want you to bring some stuff that's up there down here. Fast forward a few more chapters and they're saying, Jesus, you got to teach us what's going on here. It's getting kind of getting kind of crazy. They don't like us the way we thought they were going to like us. And Matthew chapter 11, he says, from that time, from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. How's it, how's it advancing? Forcefully. And violent people are attacking it. 
The kingdom of God is growing, is moving, is pressing forward in our world, but there are people who don't want it to forcefully advance. But God, God has called us to do something in this kingdom. Listen to how he describes our role in Matthew chapter 16 and 19. He says, I will give you the keys of daddy's Ferrari. (laughs) That's not what he said right there. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden where? In heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. God has given you and I the keys to transform this world. You're a part of a transformational kingdom. He's given you the power to not only change your life, but to change the lives of your family, of this generation and the next generation and the next generation. The question is, are you a part of a transformational kingdom? Are you a part of a hunker down and hide kingdom? There's so many people in our society right now like, I just can't deal with it. I'm going to Montana, pastor. I'm going to another city. New Orleans is cray, cray. I can't deal. I can't deal with 122 festivals. I I can't deal with, I I just need to be around other people that look like me and act like me. Sorry, that was a little harder than I intended it to be, but if it stuck you, maybe that was God. We got people wanting to run from influence rather than running into it. And today, my message to you is that we are not a hunker down and hide kingdom. Amen, everybody? We're a transformational kingdom. Let me take just a moment and give you just a little bit of the history of the church and and why this is so important. In about AD 30, about 30 years after our Lord's death, the church began to explode, right? It, it, It began to explode immediately after his death. But in that 30 years, there was such an explosion, but people didn't know what to do with the church. And for about 300 years, there was mass persecution of Christians. But I want you to know this, that in the hardest environments, the kingdom of heaven grows. In the most challenging environments where it is the most illegal to follow God, they are more in love with Jesus than some of us who are living in the freest nation in the world. About AD 312, Constantine decides that it's good for him to grant freedom to Christians. And so he's for the first time going to going to recognize Christianity as a religion that should be honored. And out of that, in AD 325, a bunch of bishops get together and they write what is known as the the Nicene Creed. They come together and say, we're we're too divided. You're over here and I'm over there and we're doing this. And they come together and they say, we're going to believe in God the Father, believe in Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit and his holy church and the communion of God. Like they begin to list the most important things, what I would call the big rocks of the church. And for the first time since Jesus, the church began to to come together in such a way we would refer to it as an ecumenical council. Historically, if you want to use the Google, everybody. You fast forward a little time, it didn't take very much time for the enemy to come in and try to divide all of that. 
And about 431, at the Council of Ephesus, they had to call another council because the first council missed some things. And you guys can put the first graphic up there. And in that first council, some people started, started struggling. The Nestorians started struggling with whether Jesus was actually the Son of God. And so they decided that they couldn't agree with the deity of Jesus. And so they went their own way. And then you fast forward a little bit further, about AD 51, go ahead to the next one, to the, uh, the third council, they get together in about 451, and another group says, you know, the, it's what we refer to as the Oriental Orthodox Church, they're going to the east, they, they decided, you know, that the Nestorians were probably right, we don't know if Jesus really was the Son of God. They started frustrating each other with theological beliefs and ideas. From there, the Eastern Church, also known today as the Orthodox Church, split off from the West, which was known as the Catholic Church, because the Bishop of Rome, also known as the Pope, was gaining too much power. In AD 1054, the, there was what they called the Great Schism. Everybody say that word, schism. Just wanted to teach you a new word in church today, right? The Great Schism. Catholics went one direction, and Orthodox went another it's there that the Pope continued to gain great power and began to launch the Crusades to win the world. Find it kind of interesting. Y'all went too fast, got ahead of me here. Y'all see what happens here, right? They continued to divide over ideas and the John Wycliffe in, let me give you the year, 1382, finally translated the Bible in English and when people could start reading the Bible for themselves, because the Bible was only Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, the people who could read Hebrew, Greek, and Latin had all the control on what you could know. So John Wycliffe said, this is not good. We need to put the Bible in a common language. And then what was born out of that is the Protestants. And the Protestants were people who began to realize that the church could do more than what the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, and the Roman Catholics were doing. The biggest thing I want you to see in this very short history lesson, okay? Some of you got real quiet in the room. What I wanted you to see is that in every situation, as the church began to grow and flourish, the enemy tried to step in and use our own ideas to force us to go different directions. And in 1517, Martin Luther was so fired up about what was going on that he goes to the Catholic Church and he nails to the door of the Catholic Church the 95 thesis. It was his 95 problems with the Catholic Church. And y'all, I am not here to bash on Catholicism. I come from a very Italian Catholic family. My grandma who passed and went on to be with the Lord, the last, one of the last things she asked me is, Joshi, are you still a Catholic? And I said, Grammy, once a Catholic, always a Catholic, right? But I still can't do everything the Pope says. And she giggles with me and she said, yeah, me neither. So I'm not here to knock. I'm trying to show you that God birthed something. God pushed something out into the world but as he was doing it, there's always been some sort of attack or some sort of division to keep us from becoming what God wanted us to become. And the Protestant church isn't against the Catholic church or the Orthodox church. We all have Jesus in common, but the way that we express it is different. And it wasn't until 1962 that the Catholic Church decided that worldwide they had to start conducting church services in English rather than Latin. 
Some of you in the room are old enough. My parents are old enough where my dad said, I remember going to church and not understanding a single thing the priest actually read. And then they would tell you what they wanted you to know. What I'm trying to help you to see today is that God started something that was transformational. And if the enemy can't keep you from that transformation yourself, what he wants to do is to keep us powerless as a church. He wants you to go to heaven, but go to heaven limping, frustrated, broken, and barely getting in. And God said, that's not what he has for us. He has called us to be transformed into his likeness. And every time there's been these frustrating seasons, the church divides over this idea or that idea, and we begin to major in the minors rather than major in the major things of God. The enemy is trying to divide our church. Not one hope. We're pretty good. I want you to know in eight years, we've had no schisms. Largely, largely because we know who we are and what God has called us to be. And you either like the Kool-Aid and the ice cream or you don't. And it's okay if you don't, we want to help you to find another church. Because listen, we're not the only one. And we're not the only flavor of ice cream. And we're not the best flavor of ice cream. We're what God has called us to be in this season for such a time as this. I just want you to grasp that right now there are largely 120 large countries in the world. The UN says there are about 193, but some of them are smaller than St. Rose, Louisiana, okay? There are about 120 large countries, and about 100 of them, the gospel is growing and keeping up with the rate of population growth. Means that people are getting saved as fast as we're putting them out there in the world. You're hearing this, right? As fast as we're making babies, people are getting saved. And in many cases, we're outgrowing the population growth. You won't see that on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. The kingdom of God is growing in the world. There are only 20 countries that it's declining. And that's dangerous for us because we happen to be one of the 20 for the first time in our history that the gospel isn't growing up, growing as fast as our population is growing. And so the question is, are we going to hunker down and hide? Or are we a transformational kingdom that God has called us to be? Is this who he has called us to be? Matthew 13, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds but it becomes the largest of garden plants. Would you say the next two words? It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus said, I need you to understand some things about the kingdom of heaven. I need you to kind of get it in your spirit that there is something different in you when you became a follower of Jesus Christ. But the devil's tricky. The devil's tricky. He's trying to divide us if he can't keep us from following God, he wants to divide us so that he can conquer us and keep us 
powerless. But I want you to know that I'm for the Presbyterian church growing in our city. And I'm for the Catholic church growing in our city. And I'm for the Methodists, albeit a little quieter than I want to be, everybody. But I'm for them growing and following. Y'all hearing me today. Huh? Anybody who hails the name of Jesus and believes the Bible is the word of God, we're in this together. Amen, everybody? We're pressing in and taking ground. But I know this much. I know this much. God has not called me to sit quietly by and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket. God has not called me to sit on the sidelines and let the praise of men and women be lifted up in stadiums and auditoriums be higher than the praise that is given to our God. And I'm going to be a faithful voice in my generation to say, we've got to change. In every one of the schisms, there's something we lose in our theology. And currently in most Protestant churches, they're missing five theological values. They've just stopped focusing on them. They're going to put them on screen real quick, just so that you can see them. Some of you guys want to know, because you're going to send me an email and say, Pastor, what were they, right? The first is, they stopped believing that the church is a transformational kingdom. They started thinking, this is a holy huddle. This is a club. you got to work hard to get in the club. No, you don't. You show up and you accept the grace of God. That's how you get in. Amen, everybody? This is not, no, we stop being those things. We're a transformational kingdom. The church, especially in America, has stopped preaching self-sacrifice and suffering. Because when you hit a little bit of self-sacrifice and suffering, you say, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. Because when you met him, you were introduced to a celestial Santa Claus rather than a transformational God. Listen, y'all, we live in a democracy, but heaven is not a democracy. Some of us need to deal with that. Another that's missing, and it's not really a problem for us down in South Louisiana, is celebration. Anybody know how to party around here? Come on now, right, y'all? We know how to pass a good time, right? That, that was our community. A lot of churches, they're just a Sunday gig. It's an hour. Don't know nobody. Don't care about nobody. I'm going to get my guilt fixed so that I can go do all the things I really want to do the rest of the week. And so they're missing community like that changes your life. And then the last is recognizing the beauty of God. The Protestant church in many environments looks at our world and, and sees it as broken rather than seeing the beauty that God intended it to be. Man, it doesn't take a few moments of riding a motorcycle in the golden hour of our day to recognize that when God painted the sky, he painted a masterpiece. And when God made you, he painted a masterpiece. You're a part of something that's different, but every time, every time, we find ourselves going the opposite direction. So I want to help you. I want to help you to remember that God has called you for such a time as this. I'm here to remind you that we're part of a transformational kingdom. Every year, my wife and I, we, we step back, usually in January, for 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we ask God, God, what do you want us to do with our influence? What do you want me to do with my life? I want you to know that your influence isn't for your own benefit. Your influence was given to you so that you would transform this world into the kingdom of heaven. God never gives you influence for your own benefit. He gives it for his glory. And then the beautiful thing is that when you use it for his glory, 
you get all the extra drippings that come from his glory. Y'all hear me today? When you do it and you press in for the right reasons, you get the blessings that come from honoring God for who he is. Listen to the, how the Apostle Paul describes his influence. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, he says, the area of influence God assigned to us is to reach you. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence may be, what, what, what may happen, may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. God has made you an influencer when he invited you into his transformational kingdom, he gave you gifts and abilities and talents. He gave you a grace to change the world. And I just want you to suck that air in a little bit. I want you to breathe in a little bit of that high octane presence of God. I want you to kind of suck that into your mindset and your heart because so many of us are just surviving, pastor, just making it, just trying to go through and you're missing the beauty of life because you're hunkering down and hiding. But I believe we're supposed to expand our influence in the world. In 1975, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, and Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, found out that they were going to be in the same city together at the same time and decided that they ought to have lunch together. And the night before their lunch, they both had a dream where God spoke to them and out of that dream, they wrote down seven areas that they were called to influence in the world. And they both showed up to tell the other person the, rele the revelation that God had given them. And they both showed each other the same piece of paper. How, don't you love how God does that kind of stuff? They said, look, look with this. And they described seven areas of influence in our world. They're going to put them on screen. I want you to see it. We're missing some theological beliefs, but we're also missing where we're supposed to influence. The family is the foundation of God. That's what he started. It's the first government, by the way. It's the first institution that God created. The second is government. The third is education. The fourth is business, arts and entertainment, media, and everybody say the last one, and the church as one of these areas of influence in our world. The problem is that we think the church is one of the areas of influence of seven. And so some of us, we put church in the middle of the list of things we do with the world. And some of us put church on the bottom of the list, but we say, yeah, yeah, church, it's important to me. Well, you know, we, 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 you know, we, we go for Christmas and Easter, and if we have to. It's low on the influence in your life. But I want you to know, I want you to see this, throw that last graphic up for me, that the church is not one. The church is actually, can't even read that, need glasses. Doesn't matter which way I turn my head. Camera, you getting a good shot on my backside? Don't do that. I don't know what happened to that. Can you see it's a giant wheel? Do you see the circle within the circle? The middle of the circle is called the church. Everybody say those two words with me. The church. The church isn't one of the areas of influence. The church is the hub for the other six. The church isn't one. The church is the hub. The church isn't a building. The church isn't an institution. 
The church isn't a government. The church, it's you. It's you. Who's the church? Pastor, you're, you're the pastor. No, you're the pre- no, no, no. You're the preacher. Pastor, you're the leader. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. You're the leader. Because God has placed you in one of those really blurred out squiggly places. <laughs> That's so funny. You know the devil just wants to distract, doesn't he? I'm going to use it for good. How about that, right? Y'all going to walk out of here and say those squiggly places? That's my places. Listen, some of you, God's place in a family and, and your leadership is there. Some of you, the government, that's your, that's your, some education, some business, some arts, entertainment, some media. Some of you, God has called to, to work in the hub, to build the hub so that the hub influences all those other areas. Listen, God has not called the church to be on the list. The church is the center of the list. The church is the transformational kingdom. And we've been standing on the side of arts and entertainment saying, man, I just wish they would produce something great that my kids could watch. They're not going to do it without you. They're not going to do it without your voice saying, hey, we don't need that kind of stuff in a kid's movie. Amen, everybody? That's not the kind of stuff we need. That transforms lives. That makes decisions in the worst time in a child's life. You ever hear me today? I think we've stepped back. Church, the local church Christian mobilized is the hope of the world. And the church that I see is a church of influence. It's a transformational kingdom. And I believe God wants to use you in your area of influence. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. You are like salt for the whole human race. How much? How much of the race? All of it. And so I'm I'm trying to win the whole human race. And I found it's a lot easier to win people that look just like me, grew up in the same part of the town as me. It takes some work to win people that don't look like you and didn't grow up like you, didn't grow up around you. But it's so much more beautiful when you do the work. Amen, everybody? It's so much more beautiful when you lean into that area of influence. You are like salt for the whole human race. You are like light, would you say, for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And every time I read that, I say, God, why couldn't New Orleans just be a little bit above sea level? (laughs) We got to like get on a levee to say we're standing on the hill. But hey, y'all, we're standing on the hill around here. He said, a city built on a hill cannot be hid in the same way your light must shine before people so that they will see the good things that you do and praise your Father in heaven. I want to mobilize your influence into your job. I want to mobilize your influence into your school, into your family. I want you to know that you're sucking air for a reason and that God has placed you in that environment, not so that you can hunker down and hide, but to say, no, no, no. Have you considered God? Have you considered that the reason you have a conscience isn't by accident? Have you considered that the, the, the ability you have to make choices could be that you're not some cosmic evolutionary accident? Have you just considered that maybe all of our noses ended up in the same place because God likes noses, right? Have you considered, have you considered, that's funnier than y'all laughed at, but it's okay. Listen, listen, have you considered, would you use your influence to change the world? Y'all, I'm so passionate about this right now that I, I almost, 
I'm doing everything I can to say it in a way that you will grab it and be passionate about it because your purpose is as strong as mine and your calling is as real as mine. So, well, pastor, no, no, you have a, no, no, I'm no, no more special than you. I do not have a bat phone in my office to call God. But y'all, hell, hell should be nervous when you leave the house. The world should take notice of your influence because you're becoming what God has called you to become. So how do we do this? I'm always, I'm always conscious of not just inspiring you and teaching you, but I always want you to walk out and say, I can do that. Pastor, I can do that. And so I'm gonna give you three things to do. I want, I want you to leave here with, uh, I, I can do that. I, I can be an influencer. With your 47 people who follow you on Instagram, <laughs> you can be an influencer, amen, everybody? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're an influencer. Number one, take some notes with me. This is the first thing you got to do. You have to influence them. First thing, number one, you need to influence them. Hey, hey, church, you need to influence them. Don't find your trend from them. Don't find your level of holiness from them. Don't find your favorite music from them. Because Jeremiah 15 and 19 says, church, you are to influence them. Don't let them influence you. It's such an important, simple thing is that you just got to make a decision that when you walk up in the room, there are some things that you're going to say, ah, not doing that. You know, it's amusing to me, and, and y'all here in the right spirit, uh, my wife and I have largely, we've chosen to live an alcohol-free life. But people walk up to me all the time, and they're like, uh, uh, you don't drink? Like, we act like a person who doesn't drink alcohol, that there's something wrong with them. And I always mess with them when, when they look at it, you, you don't drink? I said, well, I mean, I drink water, and I drink coffee. And I drank tea. I mean, I couldn't survive without drinking. You know? <laughs> and they say, I couldn't survive either. <laughs> I've got nothing, I've got nothing against you having a glass of wine. I've got nothing against you having a beer. The Bible's very, very clear. It's not sin to do those things. But I also know that when you come higher with God, he puts higher callings and higher expectations. And I think about what it's going to look like when you come to the restaurant and I'm holding on to a bottle and y'all wondering at what level I am at at that point. I consider my influence and we go out with people and they're all like, well, I'm like, hey, if you want a glass, I help yourself. I'm not against it, y'all. I'm not trying to preach my conviction. I'm just trying to tell you that I grew up, the first funeral I went to was a 36-year-old man who's an alcoholic and died. He's my uncle. And the worst funeral I ever went to was my brother when he passed away, struggling with drug addiction. I don't need to dabble with things that might try to hook onto my life. You may say it's okay for you. That's up to you and God. But I'm not doing those things. Why? Because I, I got a different kind of calling. America has never, has never been the place let me say it to you this way. America has never been a Christian nation because there's no such thing. But the moral guidelines that our nation are built on are more aligned with Scripture than any other kingdom in history, and that's why God has blessed us. Yeah. 
And the further we go from those things, the further we'll go from God's blessing. I already know I'm out of time. Go ahead, Danny. Go ahead. I'm not going to end on time. Y'all just be prepared for that. Less than 4% of Christians today have a biblical worldview. Call yourself a Christian. Less than 4% have a biblical worldview. That means 90% of Christians have a Republican worldview, a Democrat worldview, a white worldview, an African-American worldview, an immigrant worldview. They've got a worldview that doesn't line up with what this says. And today I want you to know that we're called to influence them. You're a part of a transformational kingdom. And I'm not against being Republican, independent, Democrat. I'm not against those. But influence them for the kingdom. See, the Republican Party, by and large, tries to focus on this love the Lord your God thing. And the Democrat Party tends to focus on the love your neighbor thing. But last time I read, Jesus said we needed both. Amen, everybody? Last time I read, he said, you've got to love God and you've got to love people. And if your loving God keeps you from loving people, then I would question if you love God. And if you love people more than you love God and honor God, you're being influenced by somebody else other than God. And God is calling us to influence them. He's calling us to jump up into that Republican Party situation and say, no, no, no. God is not calling us to be this way. Y'all hearing me today. He's calling us to influence them. Some here, your life has become so mundane, so routine. Same place, same thing. Monday, ho-hum. You're just kind of going through the motions. It's all predictable. God is not called you to be that predictable. Have you considered why you're here? Have you considered why God hasn't taken you to heaven yet? He's not done with you. He's not done with you. You're not just working to make an income and to leave a legacy for your kids. Your career success is a part of your God-given calling. And when God gives you success, he wants you to use that influence because Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I like how he had to say it twice. He got it to do some things. Number two, can y'all keep on going with me? I don't want to preach y'all quiet. I want to preach you into changing the world. Number two, you need to inhabit your area of influence. God's put you in the marketplace, inhabit it. God's put you in education, inhabit it. God's called you in the arts, inhabit, inhabit, inhabit. I want you to, I want to take some of the pressure off because some of you think, I, well, pastor, I can't do all the things you want to do. Listen, as a church, I only ask you to do three or four things. I ask you to be a Christian everywhere you go, to live a great commission life, just to make it real easy for you, I want you to use and steward the influence that God's already placed in your hand. See, God used what Moses had in his hand. Exodus chapter 4 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, what you holding on to there, boy? What, 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 what's in your hand right there? Moses is like, hey, God, I know you already know, but I'm holding this staff. And, and, and God, God, God said, hey, just take what I put in your hand and throw that in. 
throw it on the ground. And God used his staff to devour the enemy's plan. You go back and read the story. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, I can't do all these things. But listen, if you're in the school system, and your school system is struggling, it's because the family system is broken down. And if the economy in your area is struggling, it's because we're missing the abundance principles of God. You all hear me today? And they're desperate for somebody to say, have we considered doing it this way? You know, the Bible says when you're budgeting that a fool spends all that they have. Maybe we shouldn't spend it all. Maybe we ought to save for a beautiful building on Paris Avenue. Right? Can I make it even more practical? When you go home, influence your kids and your wife or your husband. At work, don't take the nasty pill. Influence there. At the restaurant, be kind to that waiter or waitress who's likely working their second job or going to school to try and survive to better their life. Be kind to them. Last night, we took to the family because we've been fasting all week. All sweets, desserts, all the good stuff. We went to Waffle House last night, y'all. I got an all-star breakfast with a waffle. And I got pork chops. If you've never had pork chops from Waffle House, you're missing out. Come on, where my where my pork chop people at Waffle House? Come on now. Yeah, you know a secret. You know a secret. The best pork chop you're ever gonna have in your life. It just slides in. It's so greasy, right? It's so good. So good. Last night, I waitress was there and she her, her name tag said Spice Girl I said oh this is going to be fun this is going to be fun it's going to be great and we had a good time she took care of us we ate until we hurt literally we hurt at the end of it and I walked over the counter to pay the Spice Girl and I said how long have you been here she said this is my last check my last check I get to go home it was 8 o'clock 8.15 she said, I've been here since 7 a.m. on Saturday. 13 hours. You're my last check. And I sat there and I wrote a tip. It was almost double what we paid for. Not because I'm rich, but because there's a moment to influence. And say, hey, I thank you. God bless you for being the best Spice Girl I've ever met. Right? <laughs> right? I want you just to inhabit wherever God places you. John Wesley said it this way, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. You just need to go inhabit a place. Here's the last. Can I give you the last? Gets a little bit, gets a little bit deeper. Number three, it's time for us to invade spiritual darkness. It's time for some of you to turn on the light again. You've been quiet for too long about your faith. And you've allowed a shadow to overcrowd your heart and your life and your vision. And it's time for you to step out into the world. It's time for hell to be nervous about you again like they were when you first got saved. It's time for your family to say, what have you been doing What's going on at that church? I don't know. Come see for yourself. Are they crazy? No, they're not crazy, but you need to come see. Don't tell. Listen, if somebody says, what's going on at One Hope? Just say, come see for yourself, right? Come see. Say it like that, would you? 
Ephesians 6 and 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power put on the full armor of God that, so that you can stand, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the government. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why didn't Jesus overturn the government that was suppressing his people? Why didn't he do it? Because he knew that there was going to be a time when he would show up and break the eastern sky. And between that time and this time, he has set us in motion to be a transformational kingdom. He has called us to change hearts and minds. Because when you change hearts and minds, families change, and education changes, and business changes, and the arts change, and the government changes. Y'all hear me today. And the church becomes the wheel that God has called us to be. How cool would this be? If you just stepped in and turned on the light again. So every day I'm saying, Lord, what do you need me to do today? God, what, Lord, I'm a, I'm a young, strapping, strong man, God. What do you, what do you need me to do? That was meant to be a joke. Thanks for not laughing. Thank you. Thank you. What do you need me to do, God? I want you to join the surf team. Not because the church needs volunteers. Because you need at least an hour a week where you do something that's not about you. It'll change the way you sleep at night. We don't need volunteers. Listen, the church has, we have plenty of volunteers. I actually hate the word volunteer. We say that volunteer is a dirty word. We want you to discover your God-given calling and influence and inhabit and invade the darkness around us and change it for God's glory. How about, how about instead of standing by, why don't you start turning on the light with one act of kindness? How about turning on the light with one act of service? Listen, it's not as crazy as you think. You just say, I'm going to change the way you think about Christians. By the way that I serve, the way that I care, and the way that I give. Here's our last verse, Isaiah 58. He says, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, church, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Today, as we conclude, my simple message is that we're, we're a transformational kingdom not a hunker down and hide kingdom. So I want you to influence and inhabit and invade. All of these require you to be in the world, but not of it. Would you bow with me in prayer? With every head bowed and every eye closed online and in the room, if today you sense God's presence, but you also know that you haven't been living in the transformation that God has for you. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to help you to make the most transforming decision of your life. And that is to give Jesus control, to surrender to him. 
With every head bowed and every eye closed, I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I will not ask you to come to the front. But if that's you, would you whisper this prayer? Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to transform me from the inside out. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.